All right. Our sermon today is going to be from Luke 3, verses 1 through 14. <laughs> it's the right text, so that's what matters. I don't care about the title. Um, we please rise out of honor of God's word. Luke 3, verses 1 through 14. We'll be looking at St. John, the forerunner. Baptist, baptizer, he's got all sorts of names. But I read in Jesus' name. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate began gov- being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Ananias and Annas and Caiaphas, sorry, not Ananias and Sapphira. <sighs> I was doing so well, too. The word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. He said therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid at the roots of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, What then shall we do? And he answered them, Whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, And we, what shall we do? And he said to them, Do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations, and be content with your wages. Let us pray. Father, as we look to you, we need you. Lord, there's, there's no sermon that does not need you. Lord, need you to apply these truths into our lives, to guide us in our understanding of them. Lord, that we might become conformed to your word, to your will. Father, bless us now and change us and make us more like Jesus through your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So as... As we get into this, um, so why why does why does Luke start out where he starts? What what's the point? Why does Luke want to give us this opportunity to see that it's the fifteenth year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judah, Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip tetrarch of the region of Iturea and Trachonitis, Lysanias tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas. Why does this matter? Does this matter? Like, are these things important? Yeah, these things are important. 
And the reason that this is important is because none of this stuff took place in a hidden manner. So one of Luke's goals for his book is that people would be able to check on him. All right, you want to make sure, you want to know exactly what time this was? This is the time that this was. You know, he's down to the year, the 15th year of Tiberius Caesar. Well, there's some debate about that. Okay, well, all these other things can be checked. How do we, how do we know? How do we know that what we do, that what we believe, that what we've been taught, how do we know that that's actually legitimate? Because we live in a day and age right now and Luke lived in a day and age and basically from Luke's day and age to this day and age, they've always lived in a day and age when there's people who have said, this stuff's not real. That's not true. This is just make-believe. It's myth. Because even there was a guy named Celsius, not the one that he didn't name the degrees. Um, But a guy named Celsius during the early days of the church who was referencing the myth of Jesus. You know, he was, he was actually actively writing letters against Christianity. And he was talking about the myth of Jesus. And some numbskulls nowadays will pick up on Celsius' writings and will do the same thing. But Luke here, he gives us the time specifically and exactly so that we could look back and say, no, this isn't just some make-believe. This actually happened Here. Here in history, this is when this happened. It wasn't just a long time ago in a kingdom far, far away or in a galaxy far, far away or or whatever. Um, Okay, so there's a couple people that actually got that. (laughs) It it just wasn't funny. (sighs) It's not just that. It's not sometime, somewhere along the line, this guy was born. It's like, no, this is the day. This is the year when this happened. Because the kingdom of God doesn't come in a hidden manner. It comes publicly. God wants the kingdom of God to be public. And he went through all the region around the Jordan proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. This is, this stuff isn't, this stuff isn't secret. This stuff isn't hidden. This stuff wasn't just for a small group in order that they might be able to enjoy these things and that they might have these things because John wasn't starting a cult. Jesus wasn't starting just some cult, just you know, building up his little group of disciples because he wanted a little following. That's not what Jesus is doing. He's actually seeking to have his kingdom continue to grow and to spread and to go into all the world that all the world might know. And so John goes about preaching the kingdom of God, proclaiming a baptism of repentance. John is... It's putting this stuff out there in such a way that everybody can know and hear about it. These people were bold. These people were changing the world. They were bold. They weren't hidden. They weren't shy. They weren't scared. They went out and they proclaimed this so that the kingdom of God could go beyond them out into a world that needed it. Because the Jewish world at this time, they needed Jesus. The Gentile world at this time, they needed Jesus. The world at this time, we need Jesus. But where does that start? It starts with Christians saying, you know what? We're going to go and preach. We're going to speak. We're going to do. We're going to live. We're going to live different. 
We're not going to live like the rest of the world. We're going to trust God. How about that for a novel idea? We're not going to trust our government. That doesn't mean that we don't submit to them as we're called to, in the ways that we're called to. I don't want to get into that because that's a rabbit trail that'll keep me on for hours. Um, we're going to be bold. Not going to be afraid. Yeah, yeah. Luke wanted us to know. We're told in Luke 1, so that you might have assurance of the things that you have been taught. I think that's, that's the fall that paraphrase, so don't quote me on that. But that's in Luke 1. And so this is for our assurance. All of these things, these are for our assurance. So that we have something solid that we can stand on and say, no, this is what happened. This is who Jesus is. And so John's up proclaiming this baptism of repentance. Good question, Doug. Yes, there was baptism before John the Baptist. Was that a leading question or was that actually curious? Because <laughs> that's what I was about to, get, about to say. Um, I guess the Holy Spirit doesn't just work through pastors. That's why I want you guys to ask questions. The Jews baptized Gentiles that wanted to become Jews. So if you were a Gentile that wanted to become a Jew, if you were a man, you would have to be circumcised, but that wasn't enough. You also needed to be baptized. And that was a baptism of repentance. But what sort of repentance? I'm going to leave behind the Gentile ways and I'm going to become Jewish completely. This was a baptism of repentance. I'm going to become Jewish completely. I'm not going to consider myself a Roman anymore. I am now a Jew. I'm not going to consider myself someone from Iteria. I am now a Jew. I'm not going to consider myself that which was before me. No longer matters. I have been baptized into Judaism. And so that ties you know, right into Christianity. And so as Christ was out baptizing, what was he saying? You are being baptized into the new kingdom, the kingdom of God. It's not about being a Jew. It's not about being a Gentile. It's not about what you were before. It's about what you are now. This is a new creature. You are a new person. And so then the question about infant baptism always gets brought into this. And the Jews, during John's day, we don't know if they baptized infants or not. We know that about 100 years before this, they didn't. And we know about 50 years after this, they did. But we don't know about right now. And so that gets brought up. Well, what about infants? Did they baptize infants in here? Well, we don't know. Do you know what that means? It means we don't know. So you can't make an argument and say, well, John didn't baptize infants. Why can't you say that? Because we don't know. You can't make the argument that John did baptize infants because it's not said. Why? Because we don't know. And so we have to be okay with saying, well, we don't know. So if you guys ever want to use that argument from silence, don't. Because it cuts both ways. Just don't use it. You know, well, it doesn't say this. Well, that's true, but doesn't, you know, that's not an argument. You can't make an argument from silence. All right. But it's for the forgiveness of sins. What makes your sins forgiven? Is it because you finally confessed every single one of them? Have you guys done that? Confessed every single one of the sins that you've ever committed all throughout your life? No, I haven't. It's about your position. You are now in the kingdom of God. That's how your sins are forgiven. Being in the kingdom of God. 
You're trusting God. You're relying on God. You are no longer that. You are now this. You are a child of God. Your sins are forgiven. He forgives you because of the promise that he's made. Does that mean we don't have to confess? Does that mean we don't have to repent? No. We still do those things, but now we do those things in faith. Not in order to get our sins forgiven, but because God has promised to forgive our sins through these things. And so... Thinking about Josephus? Yeah, Josephus doesn't record about... Yeah, Josephus, we can actually look back on Josephus' writings and tie a lot of these things together. Um, are you thinking about like the timing? Or are you thinking about the doctrines? I'm thinking more about the timing. Yeah, yeah. No, there's actually a lot of secular writings during this day and age when we can kind of pinpoint when all of this stuff was going on. Well, Josephus mentions Jesus, but he doesn't, you know, he was a Jew. And so, okay, no, that's fine, that's fine. So, um, so what is this, what is this repentance? What, what does this look like? So, we actually get an image of repentance. In verse 4, the voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight. And the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Now this is a description of what John is doing. He is, John is proclaiming repentance. But this is what repentance is. This is removing the obstacles. My sin is actually an obstacle for my relationship with God. Why do we repent? Why do we want to get rid of our sins as Christians? Well, it's because we feel sorry for them. You know what? Believe it or not, there's been times when I haven't felt sorry for my sins. I'm sorry to say that. I feel bad for not feeling bad. That's how holy I am. <laughs> no, I'm joking. We don't, we don't repent simply because of sorrow. We repent because we know that that sin is bad. So sometimes we repent for sorrow. I'm not saying repentance out of sorrow is is bad. I'm not deriding that at all. I'm just saying don't rely on your emotions. Why do we repent? Because God has told us that this sin is separating us from God. This sin is hardening my heart towards God. This sin is damaging my relationship towards God. Do you know that when, when I've done something not loving towards my wife, I'll just put it at that level, when I've done something not loving towards my wife, that damages my relationship with my wife. Did you guys know that? You guys probably have never experienced such a thing in your marriages. So then why do I want to get rid of that thing that's damaging my relationship? In order to rebuild that relationship. And so when I sin against God, God never sins against me. God never fails me. God never puts those things between me and him. I put those things between me and him. And so why do I repent of my sins? Why do I confess my sins and tell God, God, you know what? That thing that I was doing, that thing that I was thinking about, that thing that I was saying, that actually harms my relationship with you. And I'm sorry. Forgive me. Forgive me. This was wrong. So that I can see the salvation of God. Otherwise, my sin is blinding me to that. 
It's damaging my relationship. It's putting up a mountain. It's making a valley. It's making something crooked. It's making something rough. I can't get closer to God because the sin is causing me issues. So God says, repent. How do you deal with that? Beat yourself up. No, repent. Repent. Confess it as sin and repent. This is what we're called to do. This is how we build our relationship with God. Remove that thing. Get it out of there. Stop walking in it. Stop saying those mean things. Stop doing those silly things. He said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, you brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. So there's a warning in repentance too. And John brings that warning. Because you know what? What happens to us if we refuse to repent? What happens to us? We leave God. We walk away from God. If God is, if God is convicting you of sin, repent. If God is putting something in your life, showing you something in your life, saying, you know, this thing that you're doing, this isn't right. This way you're treating your children, this way you're treating your spouse, this way you're treating your parents, this way you're acting, it's not right. What happens if you harden your heart in that spot? You say, you know what, God? I'm going to live my life my way. Thank you. There's a warning there. There's a warning to you and there's a warning to me. And it's a terrible warning. The axe is laid at the roots of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I don't know about you guys, but that's a big warning. So why do we repent? In order to improve that relationship, but also because we know what? If I don't, there's a warning. And I don't want to experience the wrath of God. I remember experiencing the wrath of mom and dad as a little kid. I don't want to experience the wrath of God. <laughs> because God's bigger than mom and dad. Do you know why I never cheat on my taxes? Because I'm afraid of the IRS. <laughs> God's bigger than the IRS. God's warnings mean something. Don't take God lightly. Don't say, you know what? God will forgive me. I'm not going to worry about it. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm going to do. No. Take these warnings seriously. We bear fruit in keeping with repentance. So then if I'm repenting, what's going to change in my life? Everything. If, if I'm repenting of my sin towards my wife, it's going to change my relationship with my wife. If I'm repenting of my sins towards my government, it's going to change my relationship with my government. If I'm repenting of my sinful actions towards my children, it's going to change my relationship with my children. If I repent of the sinful you know, ways that I talk to Jim, it's going to change my relationship. I don't think I've done that, but if I need to, it's going to change my relationship with Jim. It's going to change my relationship with my money. It's going to change my relationship with food. It's going to change my relationship with all of these things that exist in this world. If... God shows me, you know, Joe, the way that you're treating money there is wrong. Oh. Okay, Lord, I'm going to repent of that. I'm going to turn from that. I'm going to turn to your ways. You think that's going to have an impact on my relationship with my money? Or my job? Or my family? Absolutely. And so what should we do? We should bear fruit in keeping with repentance. How do you know that you've repented? Well, 
The righteous man falls seven times and gets back up again. I think I quoted that today in the Sunday school too. That's from Proverbs. Um, I don't remember which proverb. One of you guys can look that up if you want to. (laughs) But what's going on? It's not that I never sin. It's that now I step up from that sin and get up from it. I repent of it time and time again, sometimes. And we bear fruit. It changes us. So what does it look like? What do they need? What do the people of this day and age need? And you know, as I look at the things of this day and age, it's like, oh, that's what we need today. And the crowds ask them, what then shall we do? If anybody ever says Christianity is not practical, bring them to this passage. Christianity is imminently practical. Absolutely. It changes our relationship with everything physical and metaphysical. Absolutely. And he answered them, whoever has two tunics is to share with him who has none. Whoever has food is to do likewise. All right. So if I'm going to repent, if, if I've been greedy and God convicts me of being greedy, what does it look like now? Generous. Give. You've got more than enough? Give. You want to have a proper relationship with your money? Start giving it away. Brian's going to talk about that a little bit at our um, quarterly meeting. Or special meeting. Special meeting. Yep. Sorry. This is why Mark's the president and I'm not. (laughs) Chairman and I'm not. Um, Become generous. You want to have a better relationship with your money? How many of you want to have your money control you? Any of you? You want to be slaves to your money? No? You know how to get control over your money? Start giving it away. Really? It won't control you if you start giving it away. I'm not saying you need to give it to the church. I'm not saying you need to give it to me, but if you want to, you can't. No. (laughs) Give it away. Be generous. It will change your relationship with your money. Trust God and give it away. I was just reading in my Psalms reading this morning that, yeah, it was Psalms reading, that the, the righteous lends generously. Not the rich. The righteous. Think about that. How does the righteous interact with their money? They just give it away. They lend it. Go and use it. I've got an extra hundred dollars here. Go and use it. When you get pay, when you're able to pay me back, pay me back. Go use it. You know that's how they're approaching that. This is the righteous. Give it away. Be honest. Oh man. The tax collectors also came to him to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said, Collect no more than you are authorized to do. So the tax collectors in this day and age, how did they make the big bucks? Because the Roman government, they didn't want to collect the taxes because everybody loves a tax collector, right? No. Everybody hates someone that's coming to them saying, Hey, you owe more money. So the Roman government would hire these unscrupulous people to come and collect. And the tax collectors then, there was nobody to keep track of it. The Roman government said, hey, we need $400 from this area. The tax collector could stand there and say, i collect $800 from this area. And then I'm going to take that $400. I'm going to tell everyone, the Roman government wants me to collect $800 from all of you guys. The government just said $400. What happens to that extra $400? That's mine. So what are they doing though? They're getting paid by the government to do this. The government knows they're doing this, but they're not keeping track of it because the Roman government wasn't righteous. 
So they're able to lie and get away with it. Everyone knew they were doing it and they didn't really get away with it. So what's John telling them? Be honest. This is all about honesty. So even if you can get away with a lie, you don't lie. Even if you can benefit from that lie, you don't lie. Even if there's no consequence legally from that lie, you don't lie. Collect only what you're authorized to. Integrity. Walk in integrity. Don't lie. Don't conceal the truth. Don't cover up the truth. Don't twist the truth. Don't fudge the truth. Only what you're authorized to collect. The Roman government says, you have to collect $400. Here's 50 bucks for your time. You know what you do? You collect $400 and you receive, thankfully, the $50 for your time. Walk in integrity. This is what we're called to do. We're called to be generous. We're called to be honest, truthful, to walk in integrity. We're called to be <coughs> content. Um, and soldiers also asked him, and we, what shall we do? And he said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or by false accusations and be content with your wages. So if you were a soldier during this day and age, you had rights and the people had none. You could just, there wasn't, uh, what is it, the Fourth Amendment? In, where you were unlawful search and seizure? Um, they didn't have that. So you could just come up to someone and say, hey, you look like you're committing a crime. So we got two options. Either you pay me or I bring you in. And it's your word against mine and I'm a Roman soldier and you are nothing. So what do you do? That's extortion, right? That's threats. That's what they could do. Because you know what? The Jewish people had no recourse. None. Because if the Jewish people took the Roman soldier to court, the Jew lost. The Israelite lost. The non-Roman lost. Period. Why? Because the Roman had rights. The non-Romans had no rights. The Jews weren't Romans. They were Jews. Some of them had become Romans. Granted, yes. And so what's Paul telling the Roman soldiers? You have power. You have authority. You have the ability to take advantage of people. Don't do it. John's telling them, not Paul. Sorry. Thanks, Linda. You can hear this whispering. It's like, oh no, I just said something wrong. Yeah, no. John's saying, even if you have the power, that doesn't mean you should use it. If you have power, if you have authority, if you have leverage, how do you use that? Properly. Properly. Be content with your wages. Why would they do this? Well, you know, they've got a coat that I kind of like. They've got money and I need more. Or I'd like more. Be content. So if I'm content with my wages, do I need to steal from anybody? Do I need to badger anybody for more money? Do I need to threaten anybody? Do I need to extort anybody? If I'm trusting God to provide for me, do I need to, you know, get after everybody? No. Then I can trust God and I can be content. God's given me this much. God's provided me with this much opportunity. You know what? Praise God. Praise God. That's contentment. Contentment only exists when you're trusting God. Because then you know that God is the one that gave me this so I can be happy with this. The world says, well, just be happy with what you have. No, that's not how that works. 
Trust that God has given you what you need. And be happy then with God. So this is the fruit of repentance. This is what this looks like. Generosity. Is our world generous? Non-Christians actually generous? You know, Bill Gates, he's given away like millions of dollars, right? Maybe a billion. Is that really generous? Well, he's got a little bit extra. It's a lot more than I could give. I don't know his heart. But you know the widow who gave the two pennies gave more than the rich people who gave their bags of gold. Why? She gave out of generosity. It's not about amount. It's about the heart. Generous. Honest. Wouldn't it be great to live with people like this? Content. This is what God's calling us to aim for. So we repent of those things that don't fit these. We aim to live these other ones out in faith towards God. Any questions? Pretty simple, right? Pretty hard, too. You know, the funny thing is, simple doesn't mean easy. Simple just means understandable. So we repent. This is what John's bringing to us. Repent. Turn from your sinful ways. If you don't, God will punish you. Repent. Turn from your sinful ways. Walk with God. This is what it looks like. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for laying this stuff out so clearly for us. Lord, we thank you for forgiveness. Father, that that's because of Jesus. Lord, that we can repent because of Jesus. That we can confess because of Jesus. That we can hope because of Jesus. That we can be generous and content and honest because of Jesus. Lord, we thank you that he opens the door for all of these things because he opens the door to our relationship with you. Lord, we thank you. Bless us now as we walk in that. Lord, let not any rough way or valley or hill be in our way. Lord, but may we repent whenever they come. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.